Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Gadget Flow. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today we are talking with Lars Christian, the creator of Tiny Tree Houses. Lars, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. So Lars, I know you're uh, calling me in from Sydney, Australia, the other side of the planet, but you've created this really cool product that truly does transform your plant pots into these like truly miniature wonderlands, you know, with your DIY model kits. And we know that Kickstarter has a huge community around the DIY space. So I think you really created a product that really resonates with the overall Kickstarter audience given the fact that you were able to bring in over 3,700 backers into the campaign and raising over 220,000 US dollars and 300,000 Aussie dollars. So I know the campaign recently ended, so you're taking a breather. I really appreciate you joining us on the show. Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's actually a really nice intro. It's nice to actually hear that coming back to me. Like you lose the um, the side of things when you're so caught up in everything. So yeah, thank you. No, you're very welcome. And I know, uh, you know, when the campaigns are active, it's always crazy. And, you know, I really appreciate you jumping on the show and, you know, giving our audience an opportunity to kind of, you know, again, I guess, jump in and tell them where it all, where it all started. You know, what inspired you to create tiny tree houses? So I guess to um, give you a bit of, to get an idea of where it came from, I should give you a bit of context of my background. So I am a 3D designer. I'm currently in working in an experiential agency where I've worked most of my career. But outside of that, I've always been a very creative, arty person as a kid. I was always doing projects with my mom. And at university, I studied interior architecture, and there was a lot of model making, very hands-on things, which I love. So you can kind of see how that feeds into the product idea a bit. And yeah, Treehouses is something... I don't know, I've always been fascinated by tree houses because they're just fun. It's just like a fun architectural execution and you can just have so, it can be so like out of the box. But yeah, I was just, I've also collected a lot of plants over the years. Like my apartment's full of them. I counted just before this interview, I've just got over 50 plants <laughs> in my apartment. And I was just sitting on the balcony one time and I was just daydreaming as I often do and started creating this little miniature world, fantasy world in my plants. And I kind of started imagining these little little houses where all these little imaginary creatures would live. And that's kind of the space where the idea was born out of. And it was really initially like, ah, oh, wouldn't it be funny if moments? And yeah, that's kind of where it came from. I didn't really touch it for about six to eight months after that because I have so many, many, many other project ideas and I've always got a project on the go. But then when COVID came around, 
being in the experiential agency world, we were one of the first industries to go down because a lot of what we do is events. So I was stood down pretty quickly. And it was at that point that I thought, okay, I've got all this free time now, this gift of time, which one of my projects could I potentially try and develop into an idea that I could maybe launch on Kickstarter and maybe get some money out of it. And yeah, the Treehouses idea was a front runner. It was something that sat within my skill set pretty comfortably. And as well as being able to do all the like presenting it in the market with all the graphic design, like I have some editing skills. And yeah, then I set about developing that project. It grew from just exploring and getting a prototype made. And I was like, okay, this could actually be a thing. And yeah, then I went on to launch it in Kickstarter and here we are. Awesome. So when you were creating Tiny Tree Houses and daydreaming of what it could be, what was that process like of taking it from the daydream to on paper to designing it to catting it to, you know, what features and designs you ultimately launched the campaign with? Yeah, so it's, um, well, I was a, it was a slow start, to be honest, because it was one of those like, oh, I'm not sure if this is going to be an idea or not, but a lot of sketching. I love sketching and drawing and trying to figure out how it all fits together. I, I bought some other similar wooden DIY model kits, like of a, what was it? It was like a little carriage um, and a blimp as well, just to kind of see how all the fixings slotted together. And I spent a long time in on the first one in my CAD programs, my architectural CAD programs, literally building it uh, virtually and then figuring out what all the pieces needed to be um, and then from that, that's when I did my first prototype. It, uh, yeah, I forgot what the question was actually. I think I've gone on a tangent. <laughs> no worries. Just talking about the other, you know, the ultimately what you ended up launching with in terms of a design side, how did you go about tweaking it from that first iteration and prototype to what you presented on the campaign? Yeah. Okay. So, um, the prototypes themselves were actually not that cheap. They're about 70 to 90 Australian dollars each. And being the position that I was in, like I didn't have any savings either. So that was a very big part of like choosing a project to do. It was like something I could do that wasn't going to cost me any money. So I did my prototypes. I had changes to do to each one as I developed each one. Some of them I had to get reprototyped to build because I got some of the shapes wrong or they didn't fit together as I'd intended. But ultimately, like the products that I launched with, uh, it was all like they all look great as they are, but they all had development to do afterwards, which is what I'm doing now. I've got a couple of months of design development time, but I didn't couldn't really afford to do that before the end of the campaign. Sorry, before the campaign launched, just from like a financial point of view, like I needed this to either succeed or fail and if it was going to fail then I was going to look for another job basically and I'm still working uh three days a week so it's still like touch and go I'm not totally in the clear yet but yeah and I think it's interesting that you see a lot of projects launch on Kickstarter that seem to be very well 
rounded. They've had a lot of backing and support beforehand. They've done a lot of due diligence and they're pretty much ready to go after Kickstarter. I'm very much not one of those people. I'm, I'm very much a creator on my own. I'm trying to make an idea work and I have to keep reminding myself that that's okay because, and not to compare myself to a lot of these like highly polished campaigns that come out. And it's nice as well to have that understanding from the backers as well in the community. Um, there's been a lot of comments just kind of saying, hey, you know, you're doing great. It's okay. Just keep going as you are. And yeah, that's kind of where I am now. Yeah. I mean, in talking about the community itself, it looked like you had, you know, again, over 3,000 backers on this campaign. How have you gone about managing that feedback during the campaign and potentially bringing in some of their thoughts or comments into the campaign or future iterations of your product? Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting question because, okay, yeah, there's, um, it's been so amazing to get all these comments from people with so much love and appreciation and encouragement as well. It's been so heartwarming. The, especially in the first few days as well, it was just inundated with messages and comments. I just spent like hours every morning replying to like every single one. The, uh, and I, I count myself very fortunate and lucky to have reached people in such a way as well. Uh, I think the average drop-off rate, I think someone said was about 5%. The drop-off rate that I got was something like 0.4% or something. So uh, counting myself lucky that it's gone as well as it has. And then, yeah, as far as like shaping my campaign around the comments as well, I had initially planned as my stretch goals to release new designs and larger versions of current ones. But some of the comments that came back were, oh, can you make larger versions so that they're a bit easier to build? Because they are pretty small. <laughs> it's in the name, like they are tiny and they can be a bit fiddly as well. So instead I did like a little pivot. I made my stretch goals. I did a plus size range. So I took each treehouse and made a larger version of it which I'm doing at the moment, and then they're 40% larger, so they're a bit easier to build. Now, because this was a whole new range and idea, like I haven't had it costed either, So, and I still haven't had it costed. I'm still kind of waiting to get costs back on that before I know what that's going to cost, so that's holding me up a bit at that point. But, yeah, that's how I sort of shaped my campaign around the comments as well. Also, the stakes that go into the soil nice. are currently made out of timber. And a lot of people reached out and said, hey, what are you going to do about like the moisture from the soil rotting it? And I, initially, I was going to say, oh, it's fine. And, but I, I did check my stakes, and they were starting to rot. So I actually made an acrylic stake that you can swap out for the timber one. So you can either have the timber or acrylic. Yeah, so that's just another way that I've improved the product around the comments. No, that's great. I know earlier we were speaking before we started recording in terms of some of the prep work that you did before the Kickstarter campaign, but I'd love to hear how you were first introduced to crowdfunding and why you chose Kickstarter to launch your innovation with. Yeah, well, I've always, I've known Kickstarter for many, many, many years, and I've backed a lot of projects over the years. So it's, I've always been very aware of it and I've always had aspirations. I think as a lot of designers would do, 
to design a product or something that you can launch into the world. So it's always been on my radar. Like if I come up with a product idea that would be suited for a Kickstarter launch, like I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. In terms of preparation before the campaign, having been listening to your podcast a bit in preparation for this interview, I've realized that actually I didn't do nearly as much as preparation beforehand as other people, agencies and companies have done, but I also probably wouldn't have been in the position to afford that if I wanted to. But what I did do, one of my favorite design blogs, it's called This Is Colossal. I actually submitted my project to them to see if they would feature it and they got back to me and they actually, they did want to feature it, which when I got that email, like was probably one of the happiest moments in my life, like as a creative designer to get your work published, I think is just a huge life achievement. So that was an incredibly happy day for me. And that was before the project Kickstarter had launched. So I, at this point, there was still a part of me that was thinking, you know what, the project might not go ahead. There's always a chance that it's not going to do well. So I was being quite modest about like the whole thing. So to get that beforehand was great. Otherwise, I was pretty open about the development of my project to my close network of friends on Facebook and the socials. I'm not a huge social media person either, so that I needed some help with that from some other friends, but just keeping my friends up to date. And then they were my first point of call when I launched to be like, hey, everyone, please <laughs> help me and back me. And I think that was, you know, a good boost at the beginning as well. So, yeah. And then I ran ads on Backerkit as well. Not being the creative, I'm not a marketing person or a production person. Like, it's all very new to me. So I kind of figured uh, Backerkit offered me to run ads. And I, as I was partnering with them anyway, I thought, sure, this sounds like a a good idea because they already have the market, like they already have all the contacts. So I ran with that. They initially said that they would spend about about 10 grand in total. And in reality, the end of that was about six times as much. Uh, so that's way more than I intended. Wow. Yeah. And it was, it was like, yeah, it was bringing in money. And during the campaign as well, like you're on a speeding train essentially. So to stop that train, it's kind of like, well, do I stop? Do I keep going? It's bringing in money. What do I do? I don't know. So I just kind of went with it. But I based my calculations on that 10 grand fund and with their commission percentage. I was like, I just did some quick sums and I thought, that's fine. I can absorb that cost in my margins. But it grew to such an extent that like, because I didn't calculate that properly, like it kind of ended up screwing over my margins a little bit. But that being said, on the flip side, like it did help me get to the $300,000 mark. So, and I think that's put me on the map in so many other ways. So, you know, I think I'm not seeing it as uh, a bad idea. It's something that I could have done better. But, you know, like I say, ultimately it got me to this point. And so it's not wholly a bad thing at all. Gotcha. 
After your Kickstarter campaign ended, you moved over to Indiegogo In Demand. Give me a little bit more info on why you decided to go that route and what was that process like of getting transferred over there? Yeah, well, that process was actually pretty easy. They actually contacted me during the Kickstarter campaign, so I hadn't actually thought about that. I wasn't really aware of that, but it uh, seemed like a logical, great idea. Like, it wasn't really going to... It wasn't going to be much extra work for me at all. And as I mentioned with the production process, like I'm still figuring that out. I'll probably talk about that in a minute. But while I'm waiting for those costs, this in-demand platform will be like, it's a really good gap filler essentially. And that's sort of what I'm seeing it as before I get to the end of the filament. It's another opportunity to just keep the project running and there's no time limit on it. So I can just have it sit there and it keep going. It hasn't had that much traction compared to the Kickstarter campaign, but I'm also not running any adverts or any or anything. I've already exhausted all of my, my friends input during the Kickstarter campaign. So it's just sort of sitting there and it's going to keep going for now. But yeah, otherwise it was a very easy transition. I just put up similar content just with some tweaks. So yeah, hopefully it's going to bring in some extra dollars. (laughs) Nice. Well, did you have any challenges that you had to encounter from overfunding your campaign by so much? Oh, definitely. Um, So I had, and again, this is probably like the modest part of me. I, my campaign target was $20,000 and I thought maybe I'll get to 50, like fingers crossed, dreaming, I could get to 100k. And I based all my costing and production planning on getting my own laser machine and and like a decent uh, one, like an industrial entry level one that I can churn out laser cutting sheets. Um, And they're about sort of 30 to 40 grand plus. So they're expensive machines. But I had intended to get one of those and cut everything myself, produce everything locally here. Now, at the, the numbers that the campaign reached, like it reached 100 grand in three days. And I was like, that's amazing. And then it sort of clicked. I was like, hang on, I need to check my production capacity because this is way beyond what I thought it would be and what I planned for. And what that also meant, what, like if I continue, if I did fulfill the project with my original plan, I'd be standing behind a laser machine for about 12 months. I was like, yeah, I can't do that. So I needed to look at other ways to do it. And But my budgets had not accounted for uh, employing staff to help uh, getting a bigger space, like renting studio space, other overheads that come with all those setup costs. Like these are costs I hadn't planned for. So I was suddenly then trying to re-budget and replan everything while the campaign is live and money is and backers are coming in. That was a very, very stressful moment for me. And I actually ended up putting the price of my products up midway through the campaign, which was a very, it was a very difficult decision to do, especially like at that speed as well, at the rate that the campaign was going, like I had no time to make decisions. But ultimately if I, didn't put the price up, I probably would have had to have stopped the campaign only after a few days just due to the capacity of it. Now, I did get negative 
pushback on that. And I tried to handle it as best sure. I could. My friends read the comments and they said that I handled it pretty well. And, you know, I just took the time to explain all those things to the backers. And in hindsight, like I should have done an early bird price and I should have allowed myself that flexibility. But as I mentioned earlier, like I'm not a production person. So I, d- I did everything to the best ability that I could. And I'm good at applying myself. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be things that I don't know. And yeah, so that all happened. I put the prices up. and But the backers still came after that. So I don't think it was the end of the world for the, <laughs> for the project. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that well, brings just... up an interesting comment. What, if anything, would you do differently if you were starting the whole project over again? Oh, I would definitely do an early bird price. I, what I was trying to go for was looking at, uh, listen, like doing my research and marketing and everything, and position. I was trying to position myself as a product that was a bit more premium and maybe didn't have like all the discounts, because as a consumer I actually hate being sold to and I so I I think in turn have tried not to be so selling selly and like buy my product and here's some discounts so that was the angle that I was coming from but in reality I think you definitely need to do a have an early bird and give yourself that extra flexibility to change the price if you need to and also don't be modest about it like do plan for it in case it does explode and become huge because that brings about like a whole new set of logistical financial challenges that you otherwise have to deal with on the spot which is a very hard thing to do absolutely well Lars this is going to get us into our launch round where I'm going to rapid fire a handful of questions at you you good to go yep Awesome. So what inspired you to be an entrepreneur? Um, I actually never really, that was never really my aim. My aim was just to create something and bring it into market. But that is something that I have always wanted to do as a creative person. All right. Well, if you could meet with any creative person throughout history, who would it be? I was certainly ready for you to ask me which entrepreneur (laughs) I would meet. Um, Well, same thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with my original prepared answer sorry sarah blakely i listened to her masterclass series she is the inventor of spanx and she does this whole series on um yes. uh have you seen it the masterclass episodes i haven't seen her masterclass i just uh as an entrepreneur i've like, seen her many times on shark tank and all of yeah. her entrepreneurial journeys like she, she pretty much breaks down the whole journey from like her start to where she is now, and it is just such an awesome wealth of uh, knowledge, inspiration, and tips. So I got a lot of my insights from that from her. Yeah, and probably nice. two. What course. would be your first question for her? Oh, how <laughs> how to cope with like a lot of advice out there is you know building brands slowly and. Gradually over time, I've managed to have skipped that and like how to deal with that and go from zero to a hundred and manage it in a, just as, just a good way. Nice. All right. Random question. What's your favorite plant out of the 50 that you have? Oh, I've, I've got to say my bamboo on the balcony is just so big and bold and 
yeah, I've had it for a long time. So it's, yeah, that one. <laughs> nice. Uh, any book you would recommend to our listeners? I'm not actually a reader, but I'm going to go back to Sarah Blakely and the Masterclass series. It's like reading a book, but watching it. So it's a lot easier. Yeah, I'd recommend that. Nice. Well, I know this was your first Kickstarter creation, but as you said, you've backed dozens of campaigns in the past. So I'm very interested to hear your take on what does the future of crowdfunding look like? I think there's a lot of people jumping. It's becoming very popular, especially in the certain areas like games and such. And actually, another project idea I had was to come up with a board game. But the reason why I decided not to is because it, it's such a it's verging on cluttered. I think there's just so much out there and people are now going, well, I can't back that. Well, I have to choose out like one out of five of these projects that I like. So I think it's going to get very popular, but I think it's also then going to be harder to cut through with original project ideas. But one space that I do think is quite wide open is this like a real creative, innovative products because a lot of products out there, they're solving problems and issues. But it, yeah, there's just a lot of that at the moment, I think. I don't know if that really answers Absolutely. Well, Lars, this has been great. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that answer because I, I hope it goes in that direction more where the innovations do truly come out. And, you know, there's multiple platforms, potentially more segmented, uh, maybe, that, you know, allow the uh, creative entrepreneurs out there to launch projects as innovative as yours. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Well, Lars, this is the end. This is your opportunity to give our audience your pitch, tell people what you're all about, where people should go, and why they should check you out. Cool. So um, I'm the creator of Tiny Tree Houses. They are little miniature wooden model kits of tree houses for your pot plants. Uh, they look super cute. I've got a bunch of styles and ranges available. And I'm so excited to keep developing this project and come out with new designs and new ideas. So all your support would definitely help bring this project to life and uh, even further and establish myself as a company. So that would be any support would be hugely appreciated. Thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, yeah, this has been an incredible journey. So thank you all. Absolutely. Well, audience, thank you for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for the notes, the transcript, links to the campaign and everything else we talked about today. And of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, the Gadget Flow and Product Hype. Lars, thank you so much for being a guest on Art of the Kickstart. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. And of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.